Welcome, friends, to FieldPod. Today, Chris and I will be doing our post-spring break interview with Faye Koo. We will be discussing handmade paper, lonesome cowboys, Greek and Roman symposiums, World War I bandages, jade suits, and of course, our experience at spring break, where Faye got a chance to see viewers' immediate reaction to her work. Okay, here we go. How was spring break for you? It was exhausting. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe you guys do this all the time. (laughs) Um, It was awesome. It was so great because I haven't had um, I haven't had something like that in New York in a really long time. So it was really wonderful. It's also funny because I can see like um, just like I know I don't seem like an introvert, but I promise you I am an introvert. I'm a highly socialized introvert. So it's funny to also watch myself transform into like a public version of myself, continue, like on on all the time, just seeing like what people gravitated towards and just having that really surprise me because if people like know you're the artist because they didn't necessarily, necessarily know I was the artist, I could sort of observe them and see which ones they ignored, which ones they spent more time on. It was almost like a great scientific research project for myself, like, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe I should have had like a little like a clicker. What do you call those? It's like <laughs> and see like which ones, how much time people spend on <laughs> But but no, like it was because I was there almost the entire time, so I could really see what people were interested in. So that was really wonderful. You were there the full breadth of the was it six days or seven days? It was six. It was six days. Six working days, yes, and several yeah. other days installing and deinstalling. <laughs> de-installing. Yeah. It was. It was interesting because um, a lot of people were surprised that that I was the artist. So I, I found I, I wasn't sure why that was. I don't know. If, I didn't have time to go to the other booths to see, you know, how often and how much um, the other artists were staying in their booth. People got to say things. Um, not knowing I was the artist, and that was great. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, I was talking to a couple of artists who did Spring Break as well. I think a lot of times, like, if you end up in a group show, you're, like, really not there kind of thing. But I think it's really good when it's a solo show or even a two-person show to be there for exactly the reasons that you're saying. Like, you get to see how people respond to your work in, like, a concentrated amount over a pretty short period of time. I mean, it feels long when you're doing it, right? But you're getting feedback of like an entire like months long solo show because so Mm -hmm. many people are coming to the fair all at once. Mm -hmm. But you're just Mm -hmm. like, you are getting to observe it, which I think is really great. Like when I've had my work in group shows at spring break, I've never sat the booth. (laughs) I've been in there for long periods of time, but usually I'm curating something too. So it's just like kind of balancing back and forth. Yeah. Right, right, right. If you have a, a more traditional, like, solo exhibition, even if you, like, gallery sit the entire length of time, let's say it's a month, it's mm-hmm. still different. It's, like, really different because you're getting it, like, so concentrated, like a super crit where people aren't necessarily giving you, like, a verbal crit. They, they show with their bodies. They show with their body language. They show mm-hmm. by, the like, questions they ask. A lot of people are interested in paper, for example. <laughs> there's a lot of people interested in paper, which is wonderful. Um, I didn't know there were so many paper makers yeah. in New York. <laughs> I don't know where they're making the paper. I have... There's a residency, uh, what is it called? Dieudonné. Dieudonné. 
Yeah. I found that interesting as well, is that everybody was like, is this paper made from rice? Is this paper? Like, they could see that it was handmade paper, and they wanted to talk about that. And they really liked... The materiality that you're working with, you know? Like, you you choose your paper so specifically, and I think people see that and are really drawn to it. And everyone was like... You make this yourself for like how did I know I'm I know I'm so happy I actually know about the paper a little bit so I can talk about it at least like you know what I know of it I've also let go like it could have been teaching moments you know because I'm just like by the way you shouldn't call it rice paper (laughs) yeah it's not made from rice it's called rice paper because it's the region where it comes from the people eat rice so it's like uh Rice paper, the, the way that a lot of people think of it, especially the chi- traditional Chinese ones for calligraphy, especially, uh-huh. is, should be called shuan paper, X-U-A-N. But then, like, there's Japanese, like, kozo. So then it gets a little bit, like, jargony, unfortunately. But I think usually, like, shuan is probably, like, a more, or kozo, or, you know, whatever, Japanese, Asian paper is probably a better way to go. So I did hear a lot of people refer to it as rice paper. And then it's being like, is it made from rice? Like, no, you can't make it from rice. Or you could, but... <laughs> So Faye, do you want to um, clear that all up right now on the pod? Just say what kind <laughs> what kind of paper it is and how and the little okay. bit that you know about it. Yes, sure. It's paper from Bhutan. It's Kadi K H A D I paper, and I have there's several different types of it because I bought some paper to play with and I loved it, and I ordered more. And it wasn't the same, so I thought maybe I bought the wrong kind of Bhutanese paper. And so I just kept ordering more and more, and I realized because it's handmade paper, the paper itself may change from, like, season to season because the vegetation is different, the water ratio is different. This type of paper is made from um, the Dinar tree, D-E-N-A-R, and it's from, um, it's a tree indigenous to the foothills of the Himalayas. You know, it's great. You get to talk about, like, the paper, and it sounds like this wonderful travel log. And there's a couple of different kinds. There's Tarshaw. Tasho and Rensho are the different kinds I use, and there might be a Nepalese paper in this. There might have been one in the show as well. And I also had some works on mylar, which was harder to see because of the way they were framed. But sometimes when I've hung my mylar works, you can really like the transparency is much more um, obvious. Mm-hmm. Oh, and of course, one on panel that was an interesting one too because I had a couple of people look at the work on panel, the large, um, I, I guess I just call it painting, not really a drawing, although it, to me it feels more like a drawing. Like people would go up to it, see that, see the wood grain and still ask what the surface is. So I thought that was really interesting. You know, I have a hypothesis about why people are doing that in response to your work, especially in like this big overwhelming art fair that we were in. Everyone was entering through the materiality, but also I think it's kind of because the imagery and like the content of the work is so beautiful but also difficult and challenging and the longer that you sit with it it becomes more and more complex as you're like drawing out like what all the references are it's kind of because i think because of the way that you're putting together references in this like dreamlike kind of desert scape emptiness it's really challenging people want to engage with the content but they're also entering it through the materials it's maybe easier or something i watched people kind of like have that experience there you know like kind of being like oh my god where do i start you know sitting with your work over the course of the week they did become more and more complicated the longer i looked at them (laughs) and i would see like more and more things in them as i sat with it 
Uh, it took me great. a really long time to even look at the girl in the yellow on the giant wood panel. <laughs> I was like, I'm avoiding the center of this composition on purpose for the whole time. <laughs> I forgot to mention, I've never shown that work before. Even though it was made back in 2016. I've never shown that work ever. So that was like its world premiere, um, which was wow. wonderful. Like, I think works need to be shown. Like, what, why else am I making work, you know? And so that, that was really great. I'm sorry. Yes, Jacob. Yours. Oh, I was just going to say, and that goes along with my my opinion about showing work in general is like it doesn't matter when you made it, if it feels relevant, it'll it'll be relevant. Totally. It yes. is. Yeah. And that piece it is, is the yeah. glory in the desert piece, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was great. My favorite. One of my favorite moments was, and I think Chris, you were in the booth with me when this happened. Was there was a guy who was looking but shifting his body around like in a choreography looking at just that one piece and i and i finally asked him what he saw in it and he was amazing he was so great like yes. i think he's yeah i was like he's like there's a there's an upside down pentagram i don't know what that means i'm like oh my god there's a pentagram <laughs> <laughs> yeah he was really fantastic you did get some really great feedback from people but like those kind of moments where you went, I think I need to ask him what he yeah. thinks. Cause he was just kind of like he was standing super, and looking. He was super engaged. He was super, super engaged. And I knew he was thinking something interesting. I, so I had to ask him. I just want to stop and pause and say, we're talking about an art fair in the most positive way I've ever heard an art fair ever talked about. Right. Yeah. I, really? Cause usually people are like, it's a fucking mall. Like you, people, you know, people going through and say, I'll buy that. I'll don't buy that. That's terrible. You know, um, or, or they feel like overwhelmed, you know, like everybody that I talk to about the armory is always just like, ugh, it was terrible. You mean about, you mean about art fairs in general versus yes. spring break? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, I don't particularly love art fairs in general because they are, they are mostly commercial complexes like the malls. And there's a way where the way they're shown, even though people are trying to grab attention, it's like the bottom line is money. Um, and Spring Break is different. It's not to say that, you know, of course, you know, being artists and curators, we'd love to get paid, you know. Um, but in the end, it, that's not the reason. I think I think yeah. almost everyone there, and sure, there's like professional um, business, let's say business-related reasons. But in the end, they're, they're mostly made of people like me and you guys who just want certain works to be shown and looked at and seen. And I think that's really wonderful. And almost everyone was a wonderful spirit of community. And it was like being at camp. It was so bizarre. <laughs> um, you know, I didn't get to meet a lot of people because, we were, I was, as I said, I was in the booth most of the time. But, you know, like, I love, I met so many wonderful, like, I met the few people I talked to. They were wonderful. I love them. They were amazing. But I do think I was one of the older people there. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. but it was really nice to see the work was still relevant to younger people. I don't know, like maybe like fears of being a fuddy-duddy or, or something. <laughs> it's like, oh no, people can, you know, they're not, they're not just people my age who are like, oh yeah, I see this or whatever. And I felt like you dressed up the most. <laughs> I like, like well, there was a lot, there was us and then Johanna across the way. Yeah. Johanna and Kara, those two totally dressed. They were like the most it amazing, was the performative. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, I was just like, oh my God, I've got shit in my closet that hasn't seen the light of day since before the pandemic. Because I never dressed up, you know, there was no point of dressing up. I'm like, yeah, I get to dress up. And it was just, and the things I wore were just 
it was just like, okay, I think this matches this and this matches that. So I was trying <laughs> to give love to some of the ones that, you know. <laughs> I loved that hyperallergic, it was hyperallergic, right? That had the yeah. cartoon of you that was like, um, Feku dresses up to match her work. <laughs> it was and I was like, well, other people. But um, you know what? It worked out because I got my I got to be a little cartoon version myself. If I didn't dress uh, up, that would never have happened. The the same thing happens to me in a different way, which is when I when I'm forced to put on a blazer, which Chris is like, wear the blazer. I I do get that. I one you have to wear the blazer. One is that people approach me different. And they're like, you know, whatever, I'm wearing some like random uh, like concert t-shirt underneath, but I have a blazer on. And they instantly are like, you have a blazer. You are a person of authority here. But don't you feel like you have more authority just by putting on a blazer? Well, I mean, because of that experience and because in general, I'm always, I, I don't want to buy into the icons. I personally rebel against it. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'm always like, no, that's not going to happen. But then of course it does happen. Yes. Uh, you know, I'll say a few things about this work here. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly like that. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but I... You're like really rocking the like curator who's like, over 40 sneakers blazer panty look which is totally an in fashion like look right now and you're like i just accidentally fell into that because my coworker forces me to wear a blazer at <laughs> at events uh-huh. um I mean, it's interesting though because we're like talking so much about how costuming putting on clothes that are not maybe your normal clothing that you wear all the time or something how it has such a major effect a on like way that you move through space and the way that people approach you and then also like how you feel and i think costuming is like something you think about a lot Faye. like in your work your life like how people present themselves yeah part of it has to do with performance as you said i think about like british stagecraft Versus, you know, American Stella Adler, Marlon Brando is like the most famous one, like Method Act, where you just become the person. And then the British like, oh, no, 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 why would you do that? Like, just put on a costume, the costume helps, the prosthetics. Like, it's a, it's like put donning something on that helps you find a character, clothing does. So, and I've done a lot of that just because I, I come from two different cultures and very aware of how it reads, just even the same outfit reads separately or even going to Taiwan and not opening my mouth, but people just knew exactly that I was American or not from Taiwan just based on clothes or something about like posture and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I, I've seen how clothing um, signifies different things. Um, um, and also like with my own work, because I, I'm a figurative artist, I draw characters, what they wear gives information about what's happening so i have to really be careful not be careful but it's something to play with and um and i want them in some ways to be i want the costumes to feel that they could be from different time time periods not always you know sometimes they feel very ancient or whatever but something that could read as something more universal or timeless and i don't want the city of time and place yeah i'm just thinking about your jade suits they make so much engineering sense stitched together in a certain way and then like seeing the original jade suit that's just like basically a rock (laughs) 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 i mean it's got all the tiles but it's just immovable yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, you know, you're not supposed yeah. to. Move. They're not supposed to move. Yeah, it's that like really terrifying. Yeah, but they <laughs> seem really like stagnant. Yeah, yeah. And you've enlivened them like so much in your drawings and your paintings. Jacob's right. That's the one thing that really stuck out to me. It's amazing that you've 
been so inspired by them to make this very lively work because they do feel really, really heavy. That's so interesting. I never noticed the immobility like that, which is, you're absolutely right. It's like, duh, that's obvious, but that's like an obvious trait. But I just saw purely surface, just like how beautifully they, they sort of don't fit the human body and yet they do because they're, mm -hmm. you know, they're straight and the human body is mostly not. Uh -huh. um, but I think that's also why the jade suit changed in almost like its historical references. Like it started being less a funeral shroud and more like an art, you know, a piece of armor, you know, like the like the chain mail almost or something, but just yeah. like bigger tiles. So then it starts incorporating less Eastern influences or less Eastern uh -huh. of a sense. It becomes like either or because it could be like Western armor as well but it becomes more mysterious so I, I do like how it sort of becomes like divested of its original meaning yeah. it does seem really polysemous in that way where it can kind of shift between references really easily and that's kind of what i meant about how the work is really difficult to enter through just looking at the content because you sit with it and you're like god this is touching on so many things whether we're talking about like eastern or western or just like time periods like there's so much history that feels like it's compressed in there. Mm -hmm. The major costuming that you have in your works that were at the fair were either these kind of binding pieces or jade suit pieces. And I was wondering if you would talk a little bit too about the binding pieces, A, about how you got to the binding wrapping imagery, and then also if you could talk a little bit about like the kind of intersection of the two. I think with the jade suits, they, they also, the people also start getting free from the jade suit too because uh -huh. hence the thread and unraveling of the thread especially with the uh, escape artist too i think you're talking about sanatorium that has the obvious binding and then there was containment units three that has like the funeral shroud binding has something that's always been in in my works like as a recurring motif and i've had actually a lot of works where people are bound by the like, rope that look like hair and eventually by their own hair and then there was a series from around 2016, 2017, post-cosmetic surgery bandages. So I did my own version of, you know, Botticelli's like Birth of Venus, but all the women were wearing bandages. I don't think I was thinking about necessarily, but there was that history, and I think that really informed some of the bandages. So Sanatorium mm -hmm. was influenced by a recent trip I took to Rome, where I went to the Etruscan Museum and saw some of the funerary tombs. There's a lot of death in my work, <laughs> um, or they have been recently gee i wonder why sorry that's dark let's not talk about that um but there was because they're all like sort of lean on one side they kind of like greek greek dining you know yeah. style yep and so they i was thinking i should put funeral shrouds on them but then instead combining that with the bandages i was also interested in post-world war one bandages i had read um, the fig eaters by joda shields uh and there's some, and I think Chris, you and I talked about like the yeah. the first prosthetics with the tin, the tin pieces. But they also had these yeah. elaborate system of bandaging people for splints and whatnot. So some of those bandages come from that rather than rather than the shrouds. I totally didn't realize it was a symposium pose, but of course they're laying on the couches, like they're in that kind of couch pose. And it's mm -hmm. interesting because in the like Greek symposium women weren't allowed to go unless they were sex workers. But in the convivium in Rome, they were. You're kind of touching on both, and then it's like also not that, it's also laying on the ground, you know, like they're not on couches. God, decentering of the imagery from the context. 
And I think that produces like all of this productive space for you to have all of these overlaps. It's a, it's a feature, not a bug. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I was also thinking as you were talking, like you brought binding back into the jade suits, like you're physically sewing them, you're binding them, but it's a very freeing act in there, like being sort of unbound from the jade suits by sewing on them. So it's mm-hmm. like a nice little connection between the, the two, like kind of imagery and costuming that you're working with. It's so funny because I would never have thought of, of the connection between those two. Thank you for that. Because that's what I love, like <laughs> having conversations about my work. Me, 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 me. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about the laying Buddhas, the yeah, Buddhas that are, that are leaning yeah. back in that Yeah, what's thing. it called? Parash, uh, Paranirvana, when he's not de- dead but dying. That's another thing that just kind of could come up, this cross-cultural possibilities. And stuff. So those acrobats, like, everyone loved, and they were basically a detached paper person on a string across a background. And I think it had, like, one of your first prints on the background of one of them, too. There was one that I made, um, I made a holograph, which is, um, like, a very simple handmade printmaking technique where you can take anything, like cardboard or mat board, and carve into it and create a a relief print matrix. I gave it, like, this kind of wallpaper, this textured background. Um, Mm. And then you just sewed a piece of embroidery thread, and it was glued onto this guy. Super easy. I made, like, sculpture boxes with like floating figures in them too it was also nice you had work that was affordable for like an artist like those were 600 bucks and then up to um collector one which was 18,000 the huge panel yeah, oh my god I really panel. wanted someone to shake that panel <laughs> it felt very close and then there's another piece that the the twin piece fountain yeah. blue I know we keep I should just change the name to to twins you know <laughs> I love I love that piece I was kind of sad to see it go uh-huh. You know, yeah. I'm glad, it's, I'm glad yeah. it's going to a good home. I met the I met the couple. That was actually another wonderful thing about the art fair. Is I got to meet who the work was going to go to. Yes. Um, you don't always get to do that and get to get a sense of, like, the home that's going to, you know, like, you want your work to be taken care of. So yeah. that was really wonderful. But I, I love that piece. I'm actually shocked that I was never able to, to sell that one before. But then I was like, maybe it's just too weird, you know. <laughs> but I, I was looking at that because it's painted on it's painted on one sheet of mylar. The other one, um, throne, is two sheets of mylar with paint and pencil like painted drawn on either side of both sheets. So there's like a registration going on, like a, like with prints. But that one is just um, one sheet of mylar, and the painting of it, which is acrylic, is on the underside. And I don't usually color in, fill in, whatever, render uh-huh. the shade in so much the, the body. If I do, it tends to be like tattooed or, or some kind of design. But this one I did, and I forgot, like, this looks really nice. Maybe I should do more of it. So in some ways, showing the older work as long as the new work, I, I sort of feel like nostalgic. Like, oh, yeah, that was really nice. Why don't, why don't I do that again? Um uh-huh. And uh, I, I may have abandoned that because there's a, I think, um, I, I maybe I felt that I didn't get as, as welcoming a reception from the works on Mylar, although people seem to, but I saw that people were interested in it. Um, yeah. so, so now I'm thinking, like, maybe I should do more of those. Like, I, I didn't do those because, I don't do things because they sell or don't sell necessarily, but it, you can't help but be nudged in certain direction. Yeah, um, you feel affected by it. Yeah. yeah, and it's not like, you know, I don't promise, it's not like, oh, I'm a pure artist, I only do it for aesthetics, but if you notice, like, when they weren't selling, that was the only indication I had that they weren't popular, versus, like, at the fair, I saw people interested in them, which is a reason to do them, mm-hmm. not, you know, 
I mean, if I was in it for the money, I wouldn't be an artist. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> or you'd be a different kind of artist. So you'd like, be making balloon yeah. animals. Like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but seeing people interested in getting something out of it, it doesn't feel like I made these works for, for no reason or for not. You know, like mm -hmm. if you're making work and no one's looking at them because no one likes them, you're like, okay, well, maybe I should listen to the fact that no one likes these. <laughs> Although there's the idea that like people were wrong, you know, whatever. But we're talking about like the, you know, mainstream culture as opposed to like artists. And these are like art fairs filled with artists, you know, like in their interest in the work. So that shows. Yeah. And it's always great to have people come by that are that are neighbors or, you know, on the 11th floor, coming down the 10th floor and um, and also walking around and being like, oh, we have the gold booth or whatever. <laughs> While we were installing, I saw everyone like painting like you know, hot pink and like blue and like all these crazy colors. And I was like, I feel like really kind of too restrained or too minimal. And then I was like, oh my God, we stuck out because we didn't paint the front. Yeah. It stuck out because everyone else was painted. <laughs> I have to tell you a secret that I don't think I've ever said to anyone outside of obviously Jacob, which is my very first spring break that I curated. That's what I went for. I went for like a more reserved, it was still a white room, but there was like a painting on the floor. And then there were just some really good works, just perfectly hung in a straight line, right? And Jacob asked me to join Field Projects because he came to that show. And so, oh, wow. and, and it stuck out because it was just good work, really, really solid, like interactions between all these pieces. And I think you can do that at spring break and actually stand out because everyone's like going for like massive over the top maximalist, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, I'm such a, I'm such a minimalist. I mean, look at some of my work, right? I mean, not the ones that are really decorated, you know, for Bakui or whatever, but I felt like, am I overhanging this? But it's spring break. I have to, you know? So it's like this weird <laughs> yeah. thing where like, this feels so busy to me. You're careful and you're considerate, which isn't necessarily just minimalist. It's like you're really concentrated on where you have maximal things happening, which I think is really important distinction between being like totally minimalist and having like lots of concentrated detail in like small spaces. I would say you're more like claustrophobic drawing and then it's like release of it into the yeah. beach, right? Like there's a lot of sparseness and then there's a lot of concentrated detail. I felt the curation was like a real partnership. You know, thank you so much, especially for doing the clouds, Chris. There's no way I could have done that. And uh, big kudos to Carmen, too. But it was really yeah, like... sure. There were, there were a lot of things I wasn't quite sure about. And, you know, and Jacob, I loved how you like, this is going to be right here. And you knew like that piece was going to fit right there. And it was a real partnership for sure. But especially with for a solo booth or a solo show, I think Chris and I are on the same page that we care about the artist. The artist has an idea that, you know, you have a you have a vision. It doesn't necessarily mean your vision is complete or like, you know, we're, we're there to facilitate making your work look the best it can. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. we're there to listen to you because you're the expert on your work get other ideas oh well, what about this well why don't we do this and then you're yeah. like i hate that i hate that no. i don't think we really <laughs> argued about anything really no, like not at all. anything at all but really relied on your guidance and i pushed myself to make as much new work as possible thinking that we would have to toss out a few 
Uh, we used every single piece. Like, yeah. I can't believe how that worked out. I think it was 19 pieces. So we were really lucky that we got that booth because we had the outside walls and we had the secretarial areas and then we had the main. But that's I mean, also I... like Spring Break's curation, too, of looking at what we submitted and being like, where it's so hard for them to, like give people spaces, you know, and figure out where everyone's going to fit, what each of those exhibitions is going to be like, too. So I was trying to figure out how the spring break, you know, the powers that be choose, because I have no idea, like, how they would do that. But I guess it's a good thing I submitted so much work. I thought for sure that we wouldn't have enough room for all of them anyways. And then they gave it, it's like, what are these two secretarial things? You know, these weird cubicles. Yeah. And I guess they gave it to us because they figured we needed the work. And, you know, I wasn't even sure we were going to use that space at first Mm because it was such an awkward space. But, you know, wow, you know, like Amber and Andrew, they really, they really have it down to an art. Yeah, definitely. They've always been very generous with us as well. Which I think we try to bring it. Right, Chris? Yeah. Have you talked to them? Were they happy? I mean, they're not going to be like, oh, we hated it. But do you, do yeah. I didn't get a chance to talk to them too much. So I got a good chance to talk to them when we were deinstalling. And they were very happy with the booth. You know, excited that, that we sold some stuff. And that's awesome. We talked about how the booth looked next to the other booths. And as you were saying, that it was like attractive because it was different. Some of the installations were amazing. Like some just in terms of like installation, it was an art in itself. But it was really hard to see the art art like the art that was in it you know so yeah um our booth you were able to actually like pay attention to the work which in the end i thought was the most important part anyway (laughs) yeah the gold really worked i've never painted a gold room so i was unsure of whether it really was going to work or not oh really you know what (laughs) the one thing i do wish in hindsight the one thing i do wish we did was we should have like painted the floors gold did you say the floor you sound like me now no i've actually done it you cover it up with this like it's like mdm board or something big a hundred percent m yeah, and yeah, we should have, and we should have, like, and it's cheap, it's easy, it's fairly so easy to cut. Tiles, we totally could have We should have, like, totally done it, and the whole thing would have been a golden box. But, you know what? I'm I, always, I, yes, a hundred percent, I agree. <laughs> and this is so funny, so, um, so I was just complaining, like, how much work it was, and it was, I mean, it's, it's during, like, some of the most stressful time, because it's at the beginning of the school year for a lot of people, and, you know. yeah. I totally want to curate a booth now. Like, <laughs> I yeah. totally want to do this again. It was yeah. so much fun. Yeah. And I had like all these ideas. They should have the bar on wheels and wheel it around like spring break yes. so that. Ah, that's clever. Get yeah. people real drunk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Buy more art. <laughs> Especially at the opening. Yeah. Maybe you know, would... I love the floor idea. And we kind of, you mentioned this, I think, at one point to me, like, way after while we were sitting in the booth that we were you were saying something about like oh we could have done more gold or like painted the floor gold and it's so funny because every year i i always come up with some crazy floor thing mm-hmm. and jacob is just like no <laughs> well, <laughs> or we compromise on it but like <laughs> also like one year i was like why don't when we did kate Klingbeal, i was like let's build a plexiglass floor and fill it with dirt and people will walk over it <laughs> You know, yeah. And this is out. this is also like when we had one more day of install. Chris shows up, and it's like, "Hey, what's up? So why don't you just build a new floor here?" We had, we had three more days of install. Was, no. Yeah, you guys were very chill because, like, we 
I think the, it was like the last hour we tackled the wall paintings. Like that was the last hour. Like we were mm. done literally yeah. like 10 minutes before we were kicked out of there. Always like that. And because you're like, do you think you want to start the wall painting? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, really? Now? <laughs> You want, to know, you want to know something funny is that Chris and I both were trying to figure out how to get you to, to paint stuff on the walls. We're like, maybe we'll ask her like in the middle or like, you know, we're, but we got to make sure that she does it. <laughs> very, very proud of the screen. I'm very proud that it worked out with the screen. Like that was awesome. And yeah, but like the cloud paintings, I remember I was like, oh, I can't do that. I don't draw well. <laughs> Do you remember what teaches, said that? By the way, teaches drawing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, but I, I can't. I, there's something, but I can't do that. Like, like I'm like the worst because like everything I told my students to do, like I can't do myself. The way that I draw is something I arrived at on my own, and I do everything wrong. I do everything. I hold the pencil wrong. I draw in such a way that I use my wrist. I'm going to get tendonitis or pop the tunnels. I have to rest it every so often. Like, mm-hmm. or I wear a brace. You know, I do everything wrong. But, I, like, it works for me. That was a really funny moment because you can draw, but... <laughs> you literally just made 19 drawings. Yeah, but you have created a system of drawing that you have to enact. And just free flow doing a, a cloud up on There's the wall no is way. not the, no way, is not the way. There's yeah. no way. Yeah. I erase. Like, I erase so much. It's insane. For every line you see, there's 30 lines that were rejected. Whereas Chris just gets in there right away, just jumps up, throws some Yeah, on no, the wall. it was great. I was like, ah! I think I'm just willing to be a fool, I think. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'll they just look, do it. But they yeah. look great. I feel like it's more important to push and try to, like, get stuff out there. Yeah. I revise later. And you're, mm-hmm. like, a revise during. Because you write so much, you probably don't do this. But, like, when you, like, just proofread the first paragraph over and over and over so the paragraph is perfect and the rest of the paper or the essay is, like, forgotten about, <laughs> you never get to it. So I just, so drawings are, like, that first paragraph. I totally understand exactly what you're talking about. And I am not allowed to do that anymore. And maybe you're like hitting on a real thing because my life is basically editing (laughs) and writing at this point, you know, Mm -hmm. and like, I totally used to do that, but I can't because now I'm more like, okay, the structure of the paper is like this. And I know about myself is my second paragraph. I always have to swap with the second to last paragraph and put that (laughs) second to last paragraph up where the second pair, like, it's all like much more like structural overarching thing for me and I can't get bogged down I was public school educated and our like grammatical like there was no education about like actual grammar structure and things so it's like a constantly teaching yourself on the fly and like reading strength and white painting Um, is like what you're talking like painting is more like what you're talking about that process and drawing is like that first paragraph over and over at least my my process when i used to make quilts i would spend a couple days designing how they would go together because it's cloth you have to go like oh i need an extra two inches in order to sew that and then it has that half inch that pulls out so i actually need two and a half inches to make a straight line and stuff like that and then it was embroidery over that so i would do this whole engineering side and at the same time i would be writing stories about the characters wow that would be making the things because it was funny real bitchy and angry 
people and so they would like make they would make these quilts about making fun of other people in their like groups and stuff really catty super catty <laughs> so your process sounds way more deliberate like so if you're taught to draw people you're taught to draw the pelvis first because that's the center of the body and that way you make sure you have room for the head and the feet but I always start with the face first because the face, however it turns out, is the way it'll go. So maybe I'll have like a stand and like, all right, I'm going to do a standing figure. And I'll like start drawing the face. And then the face like, oh, this means this person has this kind of hair. And it, it sort of like unfolds as I go along. And then I'll like, oh, shit, I ran out of room for the feet. I guess she'll be kneeling now. I guess she'll be kneeling. Okay, now she's kneeling. Okay, she, why is she kneeling? So this is how my work comes about. <laughs> That's pretty cool that you like you work it out on the draw. You don't do any like pre drawings or anything. I like can't. That. No, I can't. Most of my sketch, most of my sketches are actually words. I'll have like a stick, literally a stick yeah. figure, and I'll have the word bird with an arrow. Like, you know, this is bird here. Like, it's really verbal. Um, but like, if I if I don't get my idea worked out, then I have to do a second version where I'm like, yeah. okay, this time make the head smaller. <laughs> but then something else will go wrong. So like, almost all my work starts out in a certain way and ends up somewhere else because I didn't plan it. Totally. Mm. I just went to the Eva Hess show at the Guggenheim. I think most artists maybe, I also do this too, is like you make a drawing and then you do make a note. And hers also has like a drawing of what it's going to be with a with sort of reminder notes. I think one of them is like this will drape over time or something like that. I think yeah, I think one of my favorite drawings is a Murakami drawing. Oh, and it's really? like for a big wall mural and he does this incredibly detailed and each little tiny area was an exact CMYK or Pantone color. Wow. Like num like number, like yeah. the number of it. So he drew it all in pencil, no color. And then matched it so he could see the colors as he assigned the colors for each area. Like that yeah. blew my mind. It'd be nice to have a warehouse of people <laughs> but to, <laughs> to, to execute your but work. Like... <laughs> if you ever seen that documentary on him, he's like, he has a cot in his office and he's like, this is what it's like to be an artist. You just sleep in. No. <laughs> has to have a good sense of humor i just remember he had this a giant lactating nurse you know like you know so just like with the milk spilling out I'm like that's hilarious you have to own whatever comes out of your brain you know yeah well yeah, i think he worked for an animation thing for several years before he yeah yeah i feel like i only somehow i don't remember seeing the nurse one but i've definitely seen the shooting come one it's something about a cowboy I haven't seen that right. one, but is it a, is it a metaphor for America? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Probably. I was just wondering. I don't know what it it's means. It's like a yeah. There's a cowboy, so. I don't remember it being a cowboy, but uh, yeah, we'll have to look those up. We'll put that in the show Hold notes. Hold on, I'm, Google I'm Googling this. <laughs> yeah, it's called My Lonesome Cowboy. I like the and title. And it's like a blonde dude. It's American. Just... Sorry, he's blonde. Yeah. Must be cowboy, Done. must be America. Done. <laughs> yeah, I'm going back to the costume, but just for a minute. <laughs> You're using often this like an aesthetics that feels kind of like it could be associated with like violence or death, but it's all like becoming kind of ornament inside or like ornamenting them or becoming a costume or something, you know, like the Jade suits are funerary shrouds. 
the binding is sort of like either constraining the body or like it could be a violent gesture, but then it's also like they're all kind of becoming very free. And that's something that I think people just like really resonate with in your work is like you're kind of flipping and inverting a thing, but still like the connotations of violence, I think are still there a lot of the time, right? I only had a couple questions about containment unit three. Most people didn't really notice that one or didn't talk about that one, but there were a couple who really, really enjoyed that one. Um, and they asked if those were coffins, but they didn't mention anything about the people who are in shrouds, like inside the coffin. It's interesting because I did not get a lot of conversations about the subject matter of the work. And it's and I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because the materials, there's so much to look at in terms of materials and just trying to figure out what's going on. You know, like maybe they're still deciphering what the narrative is rather than just being like, is this about death? Or, you know, in the in the very front, um, like the two escape artists, there's one figure that has like arrows piercing her. You know, there's the other escape artist where um, one in the jade suit is looking around as if in terror. The jade suit is coming undone, but the thread is like so thick, it starts looking like, I'm hoping at least, it, and I think people got it, that it's like blood. You know, she's she's seeking blood, even though it's really red thread. And I didn't get much about the death imagery or the violence. And I find that very surprising. So I, I don't remember anyone other than asking if there were coffins, um, asking me about or even like noticing, talking about that. I don't know if it's because um, death is something hard, difficult for Americans to talk about, but I didn't get really any questions about that. I almost wonder if it's because they're so beautiful. As I was saying, it's like kind of flipping violence and also death making these meticulously rendered ornamental costumes and i wonder if people associate horrors about being gritty i think you're right about americans not wanting to talk about death but i also think that it's like maybe also about aesthetics and aesthetic entry and then also just the way there's so many layers of like yeah. history and references and people are just like trying to unpack all of those and can't mm. even get the broader overarch themes of death and violence and then also freedom from that the kind of dream space that you're creating you're really really concentrating on the details of it right and being like do i know like where those jade suits come from yeah people are kind of asking those kind of questions like there was this um and I, I'd forgotten about it, the the glory in the desert. Like, there's a part where the main character, the main character, the the central figure, the godlike figure, that. whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but she has like these these rips in her trousers, pants. I don't know what. And there's like blood drawn from it. And there, mm-hmm. and everyone talks about how beautiful those parts. And they are because I yeah. you know, I had such pleasure getting the paint to do that. So people are like sort of sucked into this sight of. There's always something tactile or physical. Those look like the wounds of Christ, right, Chris? There's like an aesthetics of pain that's like very acceptable, I think, especially coming out of like all sorts of different religious imagery. But like, that's a good example of it, right? And I've also been thinking lately, I grew up like loving little music, which like explicitly often hates women. I've been thinking about how there's such a drive in American culture and societies to love something that hates you or to like be fascinated by a thing that's actually genuinely could be bad for you. This kind of catharsis of seeing wounded figures. There's something really beautiful, poignant about the moments that you're capturing. Well, there is an aesthetics of violence like toward women in American society that I think is just like super accepted and acceptable. 
by lots of people. So it's almost looked over or something. I watch while I work things that are very heavy on language rather than like visuals. So I don't have to look up and see what's going on. So I have my little iPad and I, I watch movies and TV shows when I'm working. I prefer TV shows because they get me to like work more because I get sucked into like binge, binge watch without even looking. No. I'm watching Hill Street Blues right now, something I've never seen before. <laughs> wow. It's great. It's great. Yeah. But it's, the casual misogyny is like, oh, yes, I forgot about that. It's supposed to be yeah. authentic, right, to, like, the, the police precinct or oh, something Oh, God, like no. That. It's so, like, you know, I mean, it is, and it, no, of course it's not authentic. But yeah. it's, like, it's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's really good. It's really, it's hilarious. It kind of allows for messiness, which in some ways is, like, I know it's a, it was way ahead of its time, but it still feels like it hasn't, it's date. it's, like, you know, it hasn't gotten dated. It's, it's, yeah. How it's, old? It's, when did that come out? In like I think the it was 1981. I think it was 1981. So like, and um, like there's like I'm trying to think about like the characters are there's some like really kind of um I don't know if it feels the characters are really complex and like there's a really horrible person in it, but you actually kind of like him because he's actually a good person, but he's like casually racist. You know
So I, I kind of want to go back to your comment earlier, Jacob, about this being like the nicest that you've ever heard anyone talk about an art fair. And just like thinking about our experiences installing and like being there during the fair. I mean, I feel somehow, and it's hard to pinpoint why and how this is, but this art fair is just so good for artists to be there, to be like around. There's often like many more of the artists here than at something like Armory. You get to kind of have a social atmosphere in a way that I have not had at other art fairs that I have worked at curating. Um, you know, and I was just curious about like both of your experiences with it too and your feelings about it. Well, I wanted to say that the premise is part of why it's that way, which is it's 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 put together or created by two artists. Um, one is a filmmaker and the other one is a fine artist, and they sort of set the tone. Painter. painter? Yeah, let's say paint. Painter? Okay. I hate the term fine artist. I'm sorry. I can't stand it. Studio artist. Can you say studio? How about studio, studio artist? artist. But I, like, I like studio artist. But the art is Great. so fine, though. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like fine versus like what art artisanal like art like artisan right exactly yeah. that's what i dislike about because you... it's like setting up this decorative arts like fine arts like bullshit thing anyways the hand and labor and blah and whatever that is frustrating yeah. <laughs> i'm done so um so it starts there but also they encourage everybody to sort of bite off more than they can chew and it's, it is this kind of, okay, we're going to go and we're going to work super hard and make this crazy thing. And it does, and it seems impossible. And we're going to, you know, at the last minute, walk out of the booth and be like, fuck yeah, like we did that. And because of that, everybody knows that other people are also working just as hard as they are. That I, like, I, I'm, you know, like whatever, at the end of our deinstall, I finished our booth and then I went upstairs and helped somebody else like paint their booth. Because they were like, they were they yeah. were just like, we have so much to do. And like, I didn't realize that this primer wasn't going to be better than it was, you know. And right. so right. it creates a frenzied atmosphere where you have to sort of support each other. Or it's, you know, it's helpful for you to support each other. And you're like, hey, I don't have a broom. And they're like, I, nobody remembered to bring a broom except for the robot. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should have made a robot paint our booth. Oh, yeah. Yep. There you go. Next time. Oh, no. Next time. <laughs> that, that robot was scary. <laughs> Didn't it follow you it, or circle you? It circled me, and I was like, I do not appreciate this. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Someone else would have whipped out their phone and made it into a video, but I was, like, terrified. I was like, get thing away from me <laughs> it's a good yeah. thing you didn't have a bat or a weapon or something <laughs> i know i was like i think i've made drawings of like what ended up happening <laughs> i feel like it's little feet are just daggers and it's just like it's killing oh things. my god but, i don't know i mean, anyway. no. it's very no, but... more of the worldsy like <laughs> i don't know it makes me think of those like giant monsters walking across the city oh yeah all i could think yeah. about was like the, the tripods woman whose friend had a pet chimpanzee or something yeah. and like and then the chimpanzee like ripped its face out i yeah. was like i'm that woman and i don't want and she didn't even want to be a chimpanzee She's like it's fine it's safe you know and i'm like get this robotic dog out of my way yeah. <laughs> But Jacob, I love how you mentioned uh, you were saying how like everyone's in the same boat and they they, they encourage 
the possibility of failure. I wanted to say failure because it's funny because it's like I think that's why I had so much fun. I used to, I was, a, I was a good student. I was always a good student, you know, like I a shaved head, but I always was a good student. But I'd always like wait until it was almost too late to do my homework in time. Like I had to be kind of terrified before mm. I could do anything. And like I, I do that way with the way I cook, especially if I have a dinner party and I'm and I cook like I usually cook like Chinese food and it's usually like you know you're supposed to have like you know a few dishes. I do like you know like each person has like twenty dishes, so it's like a huge feast or whatever. And I'm always terrified right before I begin. I also don't do recipes, so I'm always like right before I begin, I'm like I don't think I know how to do this. So, but it's only really fun that way. But I think that's also true for most artists. It's like. It's really, it's only fun if it might not be able to happen. I, yeah, and I think, just to piggyback off that, I think Andrew is definitely a yes and person, right? He's like, mm. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm like, oh, so we're thinking That's about funny. doing this, you know, insane thing. And then he's always just like, yes, yes, do that, yes. do that, <laughs> yes. And I'm like, that's completely unreasonable. <laughs> like, and, and but but he's but like, there's a difference. I, I resonate with that. <laughs> but there's a difference though, because you have people who say those things and then never do them, as opposed to people who say those things and try those things. Those are yeah. two different types of people. Agree. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And I wonder, you know, like in the um, imagine for the spring break proposals, like. And this is like probably, I don't know if you've like interviewed them, but that may be a good, great question is like everyone's proposing something outrageous. How do they know who's going to be able to do that or not? Or is it just a, always a leap of faith? Oh, yeah. I think it's always a leap of faith. But also they, you know, they, they do like we've done it for a long time and we've always, you know, tried really hard, you know, to make it something interesting and so on and so forth. Um, and so I think there is that sort of history of a lot of other people that are, are there that, that you're like, okay, this person knows what it is and they, and they, you know, like Jack, um, Lahav is going to like bring it, you know, <laughs> every time, you know, uh, he, he had his, a solo booth this time that, that his work was in and someone else curated it, but usually he does Which a booth. Which was like super experimental for him too. I thought it was great. Yeah, you know, I thought it was awesome. he makes such figurative work. And then he did this very like abstracted blue booth with like flowers and plants. So there was like figuration in that, but it was really like different for him. It was all about like children and becoming a parent and fostering and anyways, but they really like, it's not just that they work with people who they've worked with before. Like, it's always sort of a leap of faith too. Yes. Like every time we've proposed something too, it's been very different and it's been a very different artist. Like we've never shown artists who make work similar at all at spring break. <laughs> like, you know, like we could be like, oh, we always sell these like goopy figurative paintings. So we're going to do that every time. And that's like absolutely not what we've ever proposed. Right, Jacob? Yeah. Like the year before this past year, we showed like awesome fabric arts with Kate and then we also showed Chiara which is like mixed media everything like ceramic bells and fabrics and metalwork mm -hmm. um and before that we showed Kate which was like just a wild installation of like thick goopy painted figures it's always a leap of faith I think um because you never know what the installation will end up looking like no no I think the year before was when it was at the UN and um you showed a uh solo booth of Zorawar, and then we had um, a 
three artists in the other booth. Yeah. We also <laughs> didn't do, we didn't apply separately this year, which was very nice. <laughs> I think you were just really had a lot of stuff to do. And I, was, I was like, I can't, we can't do two booths this year. This yeah. was literally the conversation. Yeah. I can't imagine yeah. you have like one period per, per booth unless, you know, like I just can't under, like that's just so much time. It's so much of a commitment, you know. Let me ask well, you guys you apply that, and you're like, what if one doesn't get in? You know, like I have this idea, you have this idea. Like if only one of them gets in, we'll both like help each other with this booth, yeah. you know, kind of thing. Got it. Got it. Um, so what is it for, for you? Because it's obviously not about money, right? So what is, what is, I don't want to be like, what's in it for you? Because I know you're, you're not a nonprofit, but I almost feel like you guys function as a nonprofit in that you're really are artist centric and you, you really want to um, like help artists, which is awesome. But what for you is the purpose of doing spring break other than having lots of fun? <laughs> well, there's having lots of fun. There's the big party. Um, but uh, just in general, uh, uh, for me, it's working with somebody who ha who has like a vision but hasn't had a chance to maybe make that vision happen or something to that effect. For me, it's, it's really about trying to be the help in the world that I wanted there to be when I was looking for it. And I wasn't able to find it. And then so I just kind of thought we should, I, I should make that thing. That's the simple answer. Chris, do you have an answer? Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's all about like learning to twerk at the after party. But... Yes, yes. <laughs> Did you do that? Oh, that Sorry. literal thing that, that happened while I was there. There was like, a... anyways. There's twer um... <laughs> twerk lessons. <laughs> it was Faye's birthday. So Faye skipped the after party. It was yep. so sad. Um, but anyways, so we... I mean, for me, I really think I completely second everything that you said, Jacob. I really feel like it's about, and it's also about like, it's all of the things that we like about spring break. Like there's a reason that we've applied consistently to spring break is because I really like the social atmosphere that is fostered there. There's a lot of solidarity, but there's also like what I want for artists is to help them make connections with people. I want to sell their work. And I also want, and like, we've been able to do that at spring break, right? Like, it's not for me about making money from doing this because we don't really make a lot of money from this, even if we do make sales. Um, like, really, it's more about helping you realize a project that you want to do. And also like representing work, even if people are familiar with it in like a way that they might not have seen it before with that artist. Um, so I feel like spring break is sort of a perfect venue for that too. Yeah. But I, I also just think that's that. like our general. That's your <laughs> like general, that's your general modus yeah. operandi. So, but I just want to like, just on the air, just express my gratitude for the opportunity. Cause it was really important for me. Like I, I really appreciate having this opportunity. So thank you. You're welcome. And also you, it's because of your work that we picked you. So, Faye, like, also, we're super grateful that you did the exhibition with us. I think it was a great booth. I know you were, like, sort of worried, like, oh, my God, we didn't do, like, a giant red or blue booth or whatever. <laughs> um, but I think it was really effective and did present your work kind of, like, in new light to people. So thank you. We did get best booth. Yes. Yeah, we did From get best booth. News. We did get or among totally. the best booths. Oh, that's it. Thanks, okay. Faye. I appreciate it. Um, you did. You worked really hard. And it shows. It was great. Awesome. Okay. Should we like field pot our way out of here? Ramona, yeah. you want to join us? 
One, two, three. Build pods. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> exactly right. All right. Okay. Thanks, babe. Thank you. Thank you. Talk to you later. That's you, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, isn't a painting a stain, anyways?